and welcome to Abandoned Manor, a safe space for Olivia to rant about and review books, sometimes with the support of a friend or two. Spoilers assumed. Full disclosure, I have not read any of these books in a hot second, and I had the genius idea of reading 100 books this year, so currently I'm working on that. It's December 23rd, so, you know. I may or may not be reading some children's books to get to 100, and I may or may not have stolen that idea from Lydia, but nonetheless, I am very excited about this because, uh, actually Sarah reminded me of it because I recommended Sharp Objects to Sarah, and she said she read it in a day, and I said, oh my god, same, when Clay, uh, recommended it to me. And I know that if you don't know my friends, if you're that one random person listening in Ireland that you don't uh no one on earth I'm talking about so that that feels like your fault uh you're still welcome to listen though because now I'm done talking about my friends except for when Lydia comes in later because Lydia sent me a lovely voice memo uh to put in here because I'm gonna start by overviewing the books uh first up we have sharp objects and full disclosure sharp objects was my favorite uh Lydia will talk about it in her voice memo about why she didn't like sharp objects as much but it was my personal favorite of the three. We're going to talk about Jillian Flynn's only three novels, uh, only three books at all. I don't know if she's written any short stories. Uh, oh, speaking of short stories, uh, there's a Sally Rooney episode coming up next, in case you're uh, excited about that. But Sharp Objects was published first in 2006. Uh, it is a southern gothic novel, and it follows Camille, who uh, is severely depressed She self-harms, and she has, uh, she cuts words into her skin when she gets, uh, obsessive over those words. Uh, so, there's that. But then also, she is a reporter working for a, uh, news outlet in Chicago, a newspaper, that she goes back to her hometown when there's been a murder in her hometown of Wind Gap, Missouri. Side note, uh... If you guys know Young Life, because you also live in the South, uh, then you know that the Young Life camp is called Windy Gap, and every time I read Wind Gap, I was like, Windy Gap? Um, Just Southern things, am I right? Uh, Both are severely traumatic. (laughs) So, Wind Gap, Missouri is her hometown. She goes back because there's been a murder of a young girl, and all of her teeth have been pulled out. Uh, I'm doing this one entirely from memory, and I, the reason I say that is because, uh, it had such a profound impact. If you know me, you know I have a terrible memory, and the fact that I remember this book so vividly is just a testament to how amazing I thought it was, and how traumatic it was for me. Um, I thought it was lovely, though. Uh, if you hear any sounds, it's because I'm painting in the background, because I can't do one single task to save my life. I have to always be multitasking. It's kind of a problem, uh, which is also probably contributes to my poor memory. Anyways, uh, that's Sharp Objects. I won't give away the endings just yet, but just know that it also gets into her family dynamic, and Sharp Objects is um, the book probably... I like it the most because it has the most kind of gender commentary, and it, it deals with the dynamics of her family, of specifically her mother and then her younger sister so sharp objects uh dark places is her next book it was published in 2009 it is also 
kind of a southern gothic novel although not as much as sharp objects just because it also takes place in the south uh it follows uh libby day and libby is a modern celebrity because the rest of her family was murdered uh when she was young and so the press followed her and stuff and this was during the satanic panic of the 80s so like when her family was murdered so now that she's older uh like new things have resurfaced and it follows her doing that uh shout out to lydia again for giving me the copy of dark places that was excellent uh she found it i think for free somewhere and it's severely waterlogged but i think that it really adds to my collection of books that it's just like adorable and free and i didn't feel bad writing all in it so shout out to lydia gone girl is the last book that she wrote uh obviously the most famous published in 2012 it is probably on your mother's bookshelf so you can probably go look for that right now and follow along um it also takes place in the south although i don't think that a lot of people would remember that because it is such a popular book and uh you know people don't love the south uh for obvious reasons but like and i say this because i'm from the south and i've done a lot of work on the south uh in like appalachians particular uh it's a very stereotyped region and people don't like reading books about it or talking about it uh unless it is severely stereotyped to the point of like iconism or like just the aesthetic of the south you know like i'm thinking where the crawdads sing just kind of because it's like oh the bayou and very like reverting it down to what people would like to see uh and i think these are very clearly written by someone who uh is from the south because it is small town america it is like there are some awful bigoted people but at the same time it's like a beautiful setting and like it's a very formative experience like it's very like you have to be here to really understand that so I think that a lot of people forget that about Gone Girl because if you don't understand, like, the environment that she's talking about, then it's very easily overlooked. But it's not a huge part of the plot of Gone Girl, uh, except for that shopping mall. That's per- my f- that's, that, pro- that part probably stuck with me most out of any of these books is that uh, when Ben Affleck, I don't, Nick Dunn, uh, Nick Dunn will be referred to as Ben Affleck, for the record, uh, goes to look for Amy, uh, he specifically goes to a strip mall because the strip mall is where people deal drugs. Like, oh, the abandoned mall. It's not a strip mall. It's an abandoned mall. And I think that that's a very interesting... Uh, it's probably based on a real mall, but if you think about it, it's kind of like a commentary on, like, commercialism and capitalism, like, bringing the downfall and, like... I don't know. It's a very cool image. <laughs> Anyways... Uh, the premise of Gone Girl, if you don't know, even though it's, like, one of the most famous books, uh, Amy Dunn fakes her death to get out of, uh, her awful marriage, and the part in Gone Girl that really stuck with me the most, other than the shopping mall thing, because that was, like, that's a side thing that stuck with me, is that there's this really beautiful quote in there about being a cool girl, and the reason why Amy ran away in the first place, which I will get to in the quotes section, because I know you're all familiar with the format of this podcast, obviously, I'm just kidding. Uh, So yeah, all three of these books take place in the South. All three of them follow a female anti-hero. And all three of them uh, 
were made into film TV adaptations. So take into that what you will. Obviously, the best one is Gone Girl with Rosamund Pike. I say that as Rosamund Pike's biggest fan. I have not met a single person who is as gung-ho about Rosamund Pike as I am. I love her. Pride and Prejudice, Gone Girl, oh my gosh. Beautiful. She's amazing. Everything about her. Um, What's the one where she kills all the old people? I'll look it up and get back to you, but... That is for the overview section. Hi, Olivia. So I have read Dark Pla- No, I haven't. I have read Sharp Objects and Gone Girl, and I haven't read Dark Places. Uh, for me, I personally liked Gone Girl more, but I think that's just because like, I remember the story more, um, and also because I've seen the movie. So like, um, But I really did like Sharp Objects. It's just that I listened to it as an audiobook, and I had fallen asleep for, like, an hour of it. So, like, there's an hour of sharp objects where I just don't know what happens. Um, but, yeah. And also, I like both of them. Both of the books. I gave both of them four stars, I think. But one critique I do have of Gillian Flynn is that it's very, like, white feminist. And also, like, rich white women are. So, in both of the novels, both of the protagonists are rich white women. I mean, write what you know, but at the same time, I don't remember a single person of color. I care a lot. That's the name of the movie. Personally, one of the best movies I've ever seen. Uh, is that uh, kind of clouded by the fact that I love Rosamund Pike so much? Maybe. None of your business, though. Still an excellent movie. Uh, so now we're going to move on to some of the questions that I'd like to talk about. Some discussion questions, if you will. Some EQs. Uh... If, you, if you're part of the American education system, you're very familiar with EQs. Um, so, uh, remember why I said I love Emma so much? If you think back, I want everyone to think back to the Emma episode, um, where I talk about why I love Emma so much. And one of the reasons that Emma is my favorite book of all time is because uh, it, I sort of the point that I feel like Jane Austen was trying to make, and I feel like it was intentional which I don't really know about whether these books was intentional about this, was that uh, women can be as complex as men. Like, female protagonists do not have to be likable and completely relatable and happy-go-lucky. I hate the happy-go-lucky trope. Uh, They can be tortured and they deserve uh, redemption arcs, is what I'm getting at. Women can be anti-heroes that deserve redemption arcs and that... uh, can be forgiven for their actions rather than just like called a bitch and then get over with it you know so that is sort of what I feel like Jillian Flynn was getting at here except that uh with all of these books is what I'm talking about except that like along with that note you get vengeance and the woman gets her vengeance and then is off you know like that's it and she wins um The issue with that a little bit is that she doesn't all the time, and it's not always that the woman is completely right. I'm thinking uh, along the lines of Dark Places, like Libby Day is not necessarily that person. Uh, Dark Places is definitely the more complex one because the murders and everything were committed by a man, and uh, I'll get to that. But... uh, Specifically with Gone Girl and Sharp Objects, uh, 
it deals with females who are antagonists the way that men usually are and I think that the reason that these books are so popular specifically Gone Girl is so popular is because it speaks to like kill all men you know <laughs> like it speaks to women in a way that it's women are never portrayed uh which is as fully antagonists but for very relatable reasons uh not necessarily with Gone Girl because Amy Dunn is not an antagonist uh, which is very interesting. Neither is Camille. Uh, for sharp objects, I'm talking about Emma and the mother, which is the little sister and the mother. Uh, they are the antagonists. They are the murderers. Uh, they commit the atrocities versus Gone Girl. It's not a murder. She just is on the run from her marriage because uh, her marriage sucks and also she hates society. Uh, I think we can all relate to that. So just uh that's a question that I like to ask because I don't know what Jillian Flynn was getting at and I'll play Lydia's voice memo next because I think she words it really well like is Jillian Flynn is that what she's getting at is kind of a more nuanced feminist point or is she just making fun she found a fun niche you know so the specific parts of these books that I want to like talk about in relation to this uh, problem is uh, in Sharp Objects, uh, the entire premise of the book that I love so much is the contrast between ultra femininity and then gore and violence. So her mother, Camille's mother and her younger sister, uh, well, her mother owns the slaughterhouse, a uh, pig farm, and uh, it's so disgusting, like the scenes are so graphically nasty about the environment of the pig farm and the things that her mother does. If you've ever read The Bell Jar, think along those lines of just like nasty. You know what I mean? I don't really know how to describe it other than just nasty and not in a like, ew, stinky way, in like a thoroughly disgusting, what on earth did I just read disturbing kind of way. But that's contrasted with like the ultra femininity socialite uh, of her mother. <clears throat> so that's what I want to talk about specifically with Sharp Objects, uh, especially because in the end of Sharp Objects, this is another major point, uh, you learn that it's actually Camille's sister, Emma, who committed the murders, uh, which is very interesting because Emma is hypersexualized in the book, and in the end, you learn that she had hidden uh, the teeth, because remember I mentioned that the corpses were found without, without teeth, in the tiles of her dollhouse that she was creating and she built this dollhouse as a representation of her actual house and she made little white tiles that she had seen in her mother's room out of teeth from girls that she had killed so interesting point the kind of hyper femininity and like uh what's it called when someone is like create juvenilized <laughs> i completely made that like you know when they're seen as children, when you see women and you create them as children and it's almost like pedophilic? That's what I mean um, with Emma specifically because she is 13 and it talks about her in a very sexual way and yet she is constantly speaking like a baby and she is playing with dolls and that's a very interesting point. So uh, she hides the teeth in the <laughs> tiles, which traumatized me, I'd like to state. Uh, the next part that I'd like to talk about specifically in Gone Girl is the 
cool girl monologue that I'm going to straight up read to you right now. Because the cool girl monologue, I think about all the time and is honestly one of the most beautiful, like, passages in a book. I think it's excellent. Uh, I cried, changed my life, if you know what I mean. Not specifically that it's profound or any way or anything. It's just, like, when you hear an emotion or a thought you'd had put into words that you didn't have the power to put into words yourself, if that makes sense. Which is why we read books in the first place. Anyways, I'll read that to you. Men always say that as a defining compliment, don't they? She's a cool girl. Being the cool girl means I am a hot, brilliant, funny woman who adores football, poker, dirty jokes, and burping, who plays video games, drinks cheap beer, loves threesomes and ale sex, and jams hot dogs and hamburgers into her mouth like she's hosting the world's biggest culinary gangbang while somehow maintaining a size two, because cool girls are above all hot. Hot and understanding. Cool girls never get angry. They only smile in a chagrined, loving manner and let their men do whatever they want. Go on, shit on me. I don't mind. I'm the cool girl. Men actually think this girl exists. Maybe they're fooled because so many women are willing to pretend to be this girl. For a long time, cool girl offended me. I used to see men, friends, coworkers, strangers, giddy over these awful pretender women, and I'd wait to sit these men down and calmly say, you are not dating a woman. You're dating a woman who has watched too many movies written by socially awkward men who would like to believe that this kind of woman exists and might kiss them. I'd want to grab the poor guy by his lapels or his messenger bag and say, the bitch doesn't really love chili dogs that much. No one loves chili dogs that much. And the cool girls are even more pathetic. They're not even pretending to be the woman they want to be. They're pretending to be the woman a man wants them to be. Oh, and if you're not a cool girl, I beg you not to believe that your man doesn't want the cool girl it may be a slightly different version maybe she's a vegetarian so cool girl loves satan and is great with dogs or maybe he's a hipster artist so cool girl is tattooed bespectacled nerd who loves comics there are variations to the window dressing but believe me he wants cool girl who is basically the girl who likes every fucking thing he likes and doesn't ever complain how do you know you're not cool girl because he says things like I like strong women. If he says that to you, he will at some point fuck someone else. Because I like strong women is code for I hate strong women. So this passage is talked about a lot. Um, There's a very specific article that I'll link in the description that I really love. Um, But if if you heard that and you think, wow, that reminds me of something. It reminds me of Manic Pixie Dream Girl. And what I really like in the article, and I'll read a passage from it, um is that it makes that same connection. Uh, And like I said about when I was talking about Emma, uh, women are seen as girls, and so I'll uh, read this passage from the article. It says, uh, certain kinds of men put on women these kinds of expectations, blah, blah, blah. Uh, What happens when when those women realize they deserve more? Sorry, did I say women? I mean girls. Because in the past decade, women as we know them and as the subject of books and movies and television shows cease to exist, replaced by capital G, girls. New girls, girls on trains, girls with dragon tattoos, girls. It was a semantic juggernaut, one that served as a bracing reminder of exactly how grown-ass adult females are reflexively judged and viewed and gently diminished, be they adorable L.A. school teachers or alcoholic English commuters. But none of those girls are ever anything like Amy Dunn. Amy, once the cool, now-gone girl, exists in the cultural canon not just as a fascinating villain or as a cautionary meditation on female rage. No, she's also a magnificent, magnificent, scary answer song. So, uh, 
the reason I really like that they brought up New Girl, even though it's my favorite show of all time, uh, is because of the Manic Pixie Dream Girl talk, and that's exactly what they're talking about, is specifically Zoe Deschanel, um, as the Manic Pixie Dream Girl. And I feel like New Girl is not created for the male gaze, but it's exactly what Amy Dunn is talking about, that you're trying to be something for the male gaze. And I think that it's a little bit more nuanced than that, than just like, you know, acting okay. There's a little bit more of the passage. It's like several pages long where she talks about this. So I didn't read it all, but she talks also just about how because cool girls exist, women can't feel emotions. And that's the part that I specifically like is that not just existing for the male gaze and being giddy and being <laughs> but not being able to express any kind of negative emotion or positive emotion or passion of any kind for anything and that's that's what I like about the cool girl rant so uh sorry that I'm terrible at reading things out loud I'm not gonna redo it <laughs> so have fun with that um moving on Dark Places. The main part about Dark Places that I want to talk about in this context is that the male does not get blamed for the murders because literally he's a male and that's the ending of the book and I'll explain that more. So Lydia mentions that she hasn't read Dark Places and I'm gonna be honest I don't remember Dark Places that well either because it's kind of a situational novel like it's one of those books where she goes around and is asking other people to recount the story for her so the entire book is her going to other people and then telling her her their part of the story which is always harder for me to remember because I'm getting so much information uh from different places and not in the right order uh versus sharp objects where the plot is unfolding at the same time as the subplot so, Dark Places, uh, you learn that, you know, her family uh, was brutally murdered and everything, but the issue is that Libby blames her brother. She is a child when it happens, and she sees her brother in the house holding a bloody axe, and she's like, oh my gosh, my brother murdered my family. She tells the cops that her brother is in jail for 20 whatever years. Um... But now there's this group of investigators, and they are nerds, they're true crime nerds, uh, and they hire Libby, basically, to come to their conventions and stuff, and she starts talking to them, and she learns that they actually hate her. Uh, a lot of them do, because they believe that her brother Ben is innocent. And, completely honest, the fact that his name is Ben made me think about Ben Solo the entire time. I just pictured him as Adam Driver. Um, I don't know, I guess it's because he murdered his family. Uh... But the entire time you're like, did he? Because it feels like he's not going to, because obviously why would she question it? Because uh, this entire book would be for nothing if at the end you learned, oh, he actually did murder them. Um, so you start to learn a lot about her father and the kind of things he was mixed up in. And uh, so what exactly happened? And if I remember correctly, her mother hired some people to come murder her because she was in so much debt um 
and Lydia says this in her thing that it's about rich white women. Uh, I'm not contradicting her at all because she hasn't read Dark Places, but Dark Places is not about a rich white woman. Um, she is, she came from an extremely poor background and her mother was so poor that she hired people to murder her so that her children would get out of debt and into the system. So huge problem. It's very dark and you don't learn this until the end, obviously. Uh, but the people mess up. Uh, and accidentally kill everyone in the family uh, because her sister was sleeping in the bed with her mom and other things were happening that night and they just have to kill the whole family uh, except for Libby who gets away. Uh, so that's what you learn in the end but the issue is that her brother also raped a stripper. That's what you learn. Um, but that part is never really resolved which is the issue I have with it that... You know, he's still, he's still not the golden boy that uh, the people in the true crime group think he is because they think that he is, you know, faultless and Libby is Satan for blaming it on him. Also, that's the reason that they think that he murdered his family because he was a teenager who liked rock music, you know, the satanic panic. Um, and there is actually a really good Stuff You Should Know podcast episode about satanic panic, satanic panic that you should listen to. It's very good. So. Oh, goodness. Whenever I talk about plot, I completely lose my place because I'm awful at summarizing things. But that's really not resolved, even though it was he's still guilty of that. So in conclusion, I think that my stance right now on Gillian Flynn and her novels is very similar to my stance on Catch-22, which is that I am a little bit confused on where she stands on, like, the gender thing because Gone Girl is very obviously very girl boss um ooh actually interesting okay never mind I just I got what that article was talking about just now about the girl point and that it's Gone Girl and not Gone Woman (laughs) um also alliteration but nonetheless she's Gone Girl she's not Cool Girl okay you know I talked myself into that one uh so, I it's very girl boss. Gone Girl is that's what I like about Sharp Objects is that it's the opposite of girl boss. Uh, she does not get any kind of redemption. Like Camille does not. You learn all the things that she's struggling with, and she sort of learns her value and her worth. Um, not redemption, but vengeance. She doesn't get any vengeance. She kind of learns her value and her worth. Um, and takes her sister in with her to Chicago because her sister's so messed up. Um, and she kind of learns to be more secure in herself because she has an identity crisis. She has such bad depression. And, you know, the people in her life in Chicago that love her, like, help her see that she is a real person who deserves things. Um, because she was always torn between the ultra femininity and the violence that she grew up with because her mother was like that sort of violent person. Um, and the town was so like gory and you know, it's just, she was not brought up in an environment that was like conducive to her having any kind of secure identity or confidence. So that's what I love about sharp objects. Um, versus gone girl being more like girl boss hated her husband. So ran away, you know, Uh, versus Dark Places, which is very interesting because Libby Day is the protagonist, but she's sort of like 
just a situational protagonist that the only reason she's the protagonist is that she was the only one not murdered which I think is very interesting she was only she it's only from her point of view because of a happenstance that she wasn't murdered obviously it's not happenstance like Jillian Flade made the decision but you know what I mean um and I think that's very interesting it could have been from Ben's point of view and I think that it would have been a little bit less girl boss but like Lydia said write what you know and Female authors writing from male point of view is not always the best, so I understand why she did that. Um, Libby Day feels more like a uh, Nick from Grey Gatsby, a Nick Calloway, uh, in that she's an observer and she's making judgments, but in the end, she is just an observer. It's not really of any consequence to her other than she's uh, trying to figure out what happened to her family. Um, she has no active role other than collecting stories, which is very interesting. Um, so my stance is that I don't understand what point Jillian is trying to make as a trilogy, because the stance that I want to put on her is that um, the same with Emma. Like, women deserve more active uh, character arcs um, in that they can have very complicated and not completely pure flawless uh well-intentioned paths um uh but i think is kind of where gone girl missed the mark for me in going with sharp objects and uh dark places because gone girl is a little bit more like the woman is faultless she's not faultless if you read the book but i i think that like i said at the beginning um the target audience tends to be like older women not living in the south if you know what I mean and so people take it very differently and the way that it's taken is often like kill all men she was so right aren't our husbands ridiculous um which I think that is kind of not what the other books are because if a book is a little bit too girl boss and I mean this in a good way because I obviously love Gone Girl but I mean that in the way that it's received sometimes it can kind of cheapen the argument that girl bosses do deserve rights too <laughs> if you know what I mean but I absolutely love Jillian Flynn's novels um they're disgusting and they're terrifying and I love them I don't know how to recommend sharp objects enough it is a perfect book it is about 200 pages it is not long at all um it's not even 200, I think. Like, it's skinny, and it really reads because it is just, it's moving, and there's a lot of good little subplots that you want to follow, and it there's not too much happening. Like, in Dark Places, there's a lot happening, and you have to go back and construct the backstory yourself. Dark Places is a little bit more of a, a feat, if you will, versus sharp objects and gone girl is just a time and a half the only thing i have problem with gone girl is that there's too much nick dunn uh we are a nick dunn hate club in this podcast uh we hate ben affleck obviously nick dunn hate club not even a question about it i know that some people like nick dunn and that they're, they're like he was the wronged one and those are the people that should not be allowed to read jillian flanell i'm just kidding i'm just kidding everyone has their own opinion and i would love to hear about it if you are part of the Nick Club, the Nick Dunn Love Club, the Nick Dunn Fan Club, if you will, feel free to leave a voicemail. 
Uh, I don't think that anyone I know is, though. Um, but also please leave a voice memo uh, about why you're in the Nick Dunn hate club, as you should. Anyways, that's all for Jillian Flynn. Stay tuned for Sally Rooney, because oh, Sally Rooney. Anyways, thank you. Uh, so this next clip that I'm just going to shove in here uh, was recorded on May 13th when I was halfway through Gone Girl. And side note, I call dark places dark waters like five times in this. It's dark places. I don't know what I was talking about, um, but I don't know where else to put it. So just listen here. Okay. So I'm recording this now so that I have the because I'm having thoughts and um, I'll probably just shove this in the episode when I make it because I want to do an episode that is Sharp Objects, Gone Girl, and Dark Waters because I abs- I haven't read Dark Waters yet, but I'm halfway through Gone Girl right now and I loved Sharp Objects. I love Gone Girl and I feel like I want to do like a, a podcast on the three of them because Jillian Flynn is a genius. <laughs> Um, I thought this was gonna be a mom book because moms read it, but I I get I get why it's a mom book now because yeah that makes sense. Uh, not because it's bad or I, I'll explain it. Nick Dunn is the single worst character. He's an amazing character, obviously. Like, like complex, not complex, but yeah, just he's crafted really intelligently. <laughs> um. He sucks so much. He does not deserve any kind of redemption. And the way that she's written him is to be on purpose. This guy, look at how he validates his actions. Look at how he has an excuse for literally everything he does. And he is such a sucky guy. And, you know, she's not saying Amy is perfect either. I'm not going to talk about Amy because I haven't finished the book yet and she's only spoken like three times. <laughs> um, so I don't even like, I haven't really gotten to a point where you really know Amy either. I'm not even halfway through. So although I know the ending, ah, that's so upsetting. Anyways, uh, just because it was so popular and I think a lot of people know how Gone Girl ends because just where it was really popular so Nick Dunn like the whole point of her making him validate his own actions is so that you can see look at how he makes excuses but it sucks because I feel like a lot of people read that and were like wow he has excuses for everything well he has valid reasons for all of those things he's the real victim ah um I hope that didn't burst your eardrums ah that makes me so angry I mean, that's what a good author does, right? Like, she is creating... That's exactly how we view people's actions anyways. And all of her books, well, both of her books so far, have this, like, amazing commentary on gender. Like, amazing. It's one of the best commentaries on gender because it's more than just, look at how oppressed women are. Grr. It's so good. And I guess they both do. They both take place in Missouri. They both have something to do about going home to Missouri. So, I don't know, maybe Dark Waters will play, take, take place in Missouri too. But ah, they're just amazing. And I'll, I'll write this down and articulate it better when I do the whole episode. But I just wanted to say that. Because that's what I'm thinking right now. He sucks. He makes me angry. Continually. Ah... 
But that's the point. I'm supposed to be angry. Amy also makes me angry, but not in a patriarchal way. Uh, But that's the point. I'll get to it. Bye.